Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by exalting the glory of God, sharing and showing the love of Christ, and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now here's this week's message. Uh, so I wanted to share something really quick uh, just to bring you guys uh, up to speed. And I'm, I, I think I asked this last week, how many people are actually going to watch Super Bowl uh, oh, okay, a lot of people are going to watch. Good, good. Yeah, I, I, I got to be honest, even when there are teams that are okay, that I'm okay watching, um, I'm in it for the commercials because they're really cool. They introduce a lot of tech. And uh, I, I, I bought one of those Echo Dots, you know, Alexa, where you say, Alexa, do this, that, and the other. And I guess there's a huge Alexa commercial, and I'm going to say what else she can do. But uh, let me share this with you quickly because I know uh, not everyone's a fan of all the teams that are playing. But no matter what the outcome is today, um, no matter who wins tonight, uh, no matter which team you know wins the Super Bowl, three things still going to be the same. No matter what, no matter what the outcome is. First and foremost, uh, God is still going to be on the throne. Amen. Doesn't matter who wins. Doesn't matter which team wins. Um, God is still going to be sovereign at the end of that game just like he is right now, and just like he has been, okay? So that's, that's not going to change. Uh, also, um, God is still going to love all the players, all right? Uh, and I know there's been a lot of talk because on, on the Eagles, there's a, uh, some really outspoken Christian players. I think the quarterback, you know, is saying, hey, I want to, you know, be a youth pastor once I retire, and I'm done, and that's great. But even the players that don't know God, God still loves them. The players that are like, I want nothing to do with God, you keep that in the locker room away from me. God still loves them. The players that are like, well, you know what, I, I, I'll listen to it, but I don't want to make God a part of my life. I want to make money first. Be You know, NFL, God still loves them, right? So God's still going to be on the throne at the end of the game. doesn't matter which team wins. God is still going to love all the players. And um, whether we like to admit it or not, God may love all the players, but at the end of the day, we in Pittsburgh, we're not. It doesn't matter who wins. We're, we're not going to love either team just like we don't love them now. That's not going to change. <laughs> okay. It, it's not going to change. And the reality is, this is reality, um, we just, I mean, I know a lot of people are kind of anti one team or anti the other, but we, not just Pittsburghers, we just don't have that capability to love the way God loves, right? Because God loves those even who hate him. God loves his enemies. And, you know, from a Pittsburgh standpoint, yeah, we love those people in the Lord, but on the field, not so much, right? And we don't have that capability to love our enemies, not to say that they're our enemies, but our enemies the way that God does. That, does that make sense? Uh, and just for the record, I'm not saying there are enemies. I'm just saying on the field, we're not that crazy about it, right? So we don't have that capability to love the way that God loves a lot of people, and um, God loves everybody. Right? And, and God has, uh, uh, you know, made it his mindset that no matter who you are, no matter what you think about him, no matter how you feel about him, he's just going to love you unconditionally. And that's not something new. That's something he's been doing since the beginning. So uh, let me do this quickly. I'm going to summarize where we've been going and talking about uh, in the book of Genesis. And we started a couple of weeks ago uh, talking about the fact that in the beginning, God spoke the universe into existence. And that same God who spoke the power that he used the universe into existence to create all of those things is the same God who speaks to us today through his word, uh, 
to respond to us in prayer? Same guy. And we looked at how Jesus said, you know what? You would have to be a fool to hear and read the words of God and just ignore it. Because it's the same God that made all of this happen. Um, and also, we talked about last week the fact that God created an environment for you, right? He created the universe, then he created man, and then he created this thing called the Sabbath specifically so that we could have a day to spend with God, right? So from God's standpoint, it makes sense, and it seems like he's pretty intent about spending time with us. I mean, does that, does that make sense to everyone? That he created all of this for us, and then he created us, and then he made it kind of like mandatory. Old Testament, remember the Sabbath. New Testament, remember the Sabbath. It's not about the day. It doesn't have to be Saturday, but take the time uh, to spend with God. So God did all that. And I want to share this with you because uh, I was talking with some people afterwards, and, and, and how the, just anyone, Neil, I always mess it up, DeGrasse Tyson, anyone know who he is? Yeah, he's like this, I don't even want just... Intense, what do you say? He's not an astronomer, he's an astrophysicist. Wow, I wouldn't even think I want to grow up and become one of those. But he's this astrophysicist, and he has this podcast where he shares all this amazing, like, information, and he's got jokes, too, so he's funny. I thought it was going to be boring. I'm like, I don't want to go back to school. I'm out of that. But it, it's actually pretty funny. And I was listening to his podcast, and this is one of the things that he spoke in talking about, that he shared, talking about the universe. And he's usually on with, uh, it's not just him, it's him and other astrophysicists or physicists or scientists or astronomer or astrologer, whichever one is not about your sign, but is actually about looking at stars. I forget which. But he has all these things with them. And this is one of the things that they shared that I found amazing. He said the universe is expanding at an increasing rate, right? Universe, as whether you know that or not, it's continuing to expand outward in all directions. But, and someone called in and said, okay, so does that mean that I'm expanding? And he said, no, because the anatomical and biological forces inside of us are greater than the, and uh, I found this word online, I don't know if I'm using it right, this phrase, the quantum chromodynamic forces that are expanding the universe. So the forces that are, make the universe and, and at a subatomic level that work within the universe, they're continuing to expand. But the forces that make us who we are are stronger, which is why we're not expanding at the rate the universe is expanding. So this whole universe has its own, you know, thing, and then uh, each planet has its orbit, and, and as we sit on the planet, we're rotating with the planet, but we have our own anatomical and biological forces that are holding us together. Now, he didn't say this, but the Bible says this, God did that. God made all of that work together, yet independent of each other, uh, to create the universe. I just found that amazing. Uh, but I want to do this. Uh, I'm going to jump into, because I want to see what else God is saying to us through the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Genesis, chapter 2. Uh, and again, Genesis, very first book of the Bible. So page 2, if you're looking through the Bibles that uh, we have under your chairs, and if you don't have one under your chair or to the left of you or to the right of you or in front of you or in back of you, uh, we can have someone bring one to you. And in Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 15. And, and this is what we read. This is um, kind of like a more detailed look at God creating man and woman. Verse 15, Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. That was his job. That was the purpose for which God said that, that, that you're going to do it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. And that word die literally means that you will cease to exist without life or breath. Now, we know Adam didn't physically die, but we know that this spiritual connection, because when God created him, he breathed into him the breath of life, God's very own spirit into him, and that's what made him have life animation, uh, not in the Pinocchio sense, but kind of like how Pinocchio became a living boy. Now, the, the Lord God said, this is him speaking to Adam, it is not, or speaking, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. That word helper means a co-partner or co-worker. And so he formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. Uh, I'm assuming this is, was before stink bugs were around. Because somebody else came up with that name, even though it is appropriate. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found, no suitable partner. God looked at, here's the work that I've called you to do. This work that I've called you to do, you're not meant to do alone. And so then in verse 21, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, the understanding here, even though it's not written there, is that God also breathed into her the breath of life. Because just if you take a rib out of someone, that doesn't bring it to life. So there's a, an unwritten understanding that in order for her to physically come to life, that she also needed and required the breath of life. God breathed into her. So both Adam and Eve walking around filled with the same breath spirit of God, and that's what gave them life, and that, was, that is what was cut off when they sin. And it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And I always used to wonder, well, what is the reason? And it wasn't the reason because he animated them and brought them to life. The reason was because that's the way, that's God's perfect picture of a working unit, of a family unit, of man and wife together. And because ever since the fall, and we talked about this when we did a series called The Race for the Cure, Ever since the fall, it hasn't just been a problem in Hollywood or corporate America or the American government where women were mistreated and sexualized. It has been a problem in every country, in every kingdom, going back to the fall. And we'll talk about a little bit more about that uh, in a bit. So it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And this, I have, I've, I've never heard any pastor, maybe you guys have, uh, in all the podcasts or anything I've preached on, fully explain this. So, uh, and maybe you guys have, but I'm going to spend some time on this because this is important. Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, they were naked for a couple of reasons. One, that word naked means bare, means without clothes. They were naked. Uh, but there was also no clothing needed in the environment that they were in. They weren't freezing. They weren't sweating. It was that perfect temperature, whatever that is in your mind, to where they didn't need clothes. But also, that word means bare. So they didn't have an improper view of the human body. And also, they felt no shame because shame comes from wrongdoing. 
Shame comes from humiliation. Shame didn't exist because there was no sin, there was no wrongdoing. Everything that they had together was just working and it was perfect. Uh, let me make sure I didn't skip. Yeah, everything that they had together uh, was working and it was perfect. Now, here's the, here's, here's the problem that we run into, all right? God created this perfect environment, the, the, the literal environment, weather, temperature, everything, perfect. The living conditions, they had food, they had water, everything, perfect. The working conditions, working together, God created, hey, I'm equipping you guys, I'm bringing you a helper, a partner in life and in work, perfect. Their relationship with God was perfect until sin entered the picture. And everyone, no matter who you talk, everyone has a different understanding of what sin is, right? And, and, and it's basically this. It doesn't matter what our understanding is. It's God's understanding, which is basically they had transgressed his law. They had missed what he said for them to do. The standard that he set for them, they missed it. And they made a willing choice to move past it. To, instead of being obedient to God, to be disobedient to God. So jump over to chapter 3 in verse 8. And this is immediately what happened after sin took place, after they decided, and it wasn't about the tree, and it wasn't about the, the, the fruit that they ate. It was about the decision they made to defy God. And verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God. Again, this is after they had sinned. Uh, and, and he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And this is important. He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That word naked, even though in English we're using the same word, is a different Hebrew word than the one in verse 25 of chapter 2. In verse 25 of chapter 2, they were naked, meaning bare, without clothes, they felt no shame. Here it says, I was afraid because I was naked. It's a different Hebrew word. It means I had nothing and I was helpless and I was defenseless. It's a similar root, but it's a totally different word. That means a totally different thing. So before, I'm without clothes, but that's okay. It's all good. There was no improper view of the human body. Now, I'm feeling defenseless, I'm feeling regret, and I'm feeling shame. And God said, who told you that you were naked? And, we, and we, I, I've looked at that like so many times and thought, really, why did God ask me who told that he was naked? But if you think about it, God's saying, who told you that you were defenseless and helpless and that you were worth shame? Who put that into your head? And if you think about it, the same devil that put that into Adam and Eve's head puts that into our head. When we make mistakes, when we do wrong things, which we do, we're human, when we hate on people, and we don't find the capacity to love them the way that God loves them, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure all of us have done things where we have felt regret, or we felt shame, or where we felt helpless. 
And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? Now, here's the thing. Uh, they were, they were um, naked, but because of sin, they felt helpless. And here's why. Verse, which we didn't read, but I'm going to put up here, uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized though they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. If you ever wondered what was the exact, you know, like they say in the medical field, time of death of humanity, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7. That's the time their eyes were opened, and they were literally cut off. Because they went from having the perspective of being, you know, with God, where they were naked, they were without clothes, they were bare, but they were without guilt, they were without shame, they didn't view each other differently, they still viewed each other as, you know, co-workers and partners, but then without God, once sin settled in, they were naked and helpless and afraid and guilty. And the only physical thing that changed, even though it's not really a physical thing that changed, was their perspective. Their situation didn't change. Nothing changed. God's view of them didn't change. The only thing that changed was their perspective when sin entered their lives. And God had created this perfect, perfect, perfect uh, working environment for them where everything in their life had consequences, though, because of that sin. And everything in our life has consequences because of that sin. And I hear people say one of the biggest things that a lot of uh, non-believers, one of the biggest gripes they have about Christianity is, I don't feel like my life should be changed because of what some woman and dude did thousands of years ago, and I'm impacted by that. Sorry, but it is. I don't feel like that my life should be changed, that I should be looked at differently because I'm an African-American. But guess what? I had no say in that. It's the way that I was born. I don't feel like the people that are born with genetic um, abnormalities that cause them sicknesses, that cause them deformities, that that's their fault. But guess what? That's the way that they were born. That's the world that we live in. And even though they have issues with it, Sin, every human being that has been born since then was born into sin. That's the way it is. That's the world that we live in because that's the world that they created and we all have to deal with the consequences of it just like they did. Now their consequences were immediate because God told them uh, starting in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3.16, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your grief and your suffering in pregnancy and the pangs of childbearing spasms and distress you will bring forth children that your desire and craving will be for your husband and he will rule over you and we went into this in a little bit more detail when we did that race for the cure but basically not just the, the physical act of giving birth but the whole parental relationship is now tainted by sin what was supposed to be a perfect relationship just like their relationship as children of God uh, and their children and so on was now tainted the marital relationship, the partnership that was supposed to be equal where we look at one another and we work together is now a constant battle. And everyone in here who's married or ever been married knows it takes some work. It 
It's not just easy. You don't just wake up and it happens. It takes work, and it's hard to not even get it perfect just to make it okay. And then in Genesis chapter 3, he goes on, and he says to Adam, he said, because you have listened and given heed to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it, the ground is under a curse because of you. In sorrow and toil shall you eat of the fruits of it all the days of your life. And a side note, let me say this. Um, and yes, this is my opinion, but yes, I can also back this up with scripture because every single time where a human who knows God has put the advice of another human above the godly wisdom of God, it has turned out badly. Every single time. Where someone who has put their faith and trust in God, and God is guiding them, God is, whether it be through prayer or through his word, and saying, here is the path that you should take, and they ask another human, and the human says, no, don't do what God does, do this. Every single time in scripture, it has turned out, not just badly, horrific. In some cases, life-threatening because they chose not to adhere to God's word, instead to listen to the human's word. And in this case, uh, um, not only was the, the work environment um, damaged, but, and, and you guys can testify to this, anyone goes to their work, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but who goes to their work happy and excited every day to go there and leaves despite the struggles, happy and excited every day, and can go home and say, I'm glad I made this path and choice in my life, you're an oddity. Because most people, there are good days, there are bad days, there are trials, there are struggles, there are days when your manager makes you want to quit, there are days when uh, the clients that you're working with make you want to quit, there are days when your co-workers make you want to quit, and there are days, if you're like me, where all of the above have made you say, I, 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 I don't get paid enough, I am done. But that wasn't God's intent. God's intent is that we would have this perfect work environment where we were just doing what God had called us to do and we were being fulfilled uh, while doing what God has called us to do. So, and then he goes on in Genesis 3, 18 to 19, the ground will sprout thorns and weeds. Those are called Brussels sprouts. You'll get your food the hard way. And this is the message version because I just want it plain English. Planting and tilling and harvesting, sweating in the fields from dawn till dusk. Your work life isn't going to be easy. But here's the other thing. Until you return to that ground yourself, dead and buried, you started out as dirt, you'll end up as dirt. And I had this conversation with, I don't remember, I think it was, I think it was, was it Larry? It was someone last week uh, because uh, we... From God's perspective, weren't supposed to die. In that environment that he created, um, what sin cost them was eternal life. And I think Larry was asking, uh, was it you? Yeah, he was asking, um, so if they had not sinned, what would have happened? Well, there were uh, one of two things. One is we would have spent eternity with God in that environment, which a lot of theologians attribute to why you see later people living eight, nine hundred, whatever years, because God created those bodies to last because they weren't supposed to die. That wasn't his intent. But then the other thing is, if Adam and Eve had not sinned, we would have spent eternity with God. The other option is someone else would have done it. If it wouldn't have been Adam and Eve, 
It might have been Cain. It might have been Abel. It might have been generations later. But someone else would have made the choice to disobey God. And we still would have entered into this sin state just at a later date. But God's intent was that we would stay in a perfect state with him. Uh, Because sin cost us perfect marriages. It cost us perfect families. It cost us perfect jobs. It cost us a perfect life. Eternity with God without any pain or anguish or whatever. And instead of listening to me on Sunday mornings, you'd be sitting around listening, walking in the cool of the day, hearing God share his plans for your life and how much he loves you. But sin cost us that. However, comma, the reason that Jesus came is to restore all of that. And I'm going to run through a, a lot of verses quickly. In John chapter 14, Jesus answered, I, and he's talking to his disciples, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way to God. I am the truth, not, not, a, not a political truth, not a party's truth, uh, not one country's view of the truth. I am the defining line by which all truth exists. And he says, I am the life, the eternal life that you should have had, you can have again through Jesus Christ. But the only way to get that is to reconnect with God. And the only way to do that is through Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, that's why I wear this on my shirt, uh, Luke The uh, Dr. Luke records, who wrote the book of Acts, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no way to do it. There is no one to do it. The only one who can do it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Paul writes to the church in Rome, and we talked a little bit about this last week. In Romans chapter 5, he writes, well, then as one man's trespass, one man's false step and failing away, that one man is Adam, led to condemnation for all men. So one man's act of righteousness, that's Jesus, leads to acquittal and right standing with God and life for all men. For just as by one man's disobedience, failing to hear, heedlessness and carelessness, the many were constituted sinners, all of humanity, So by one man's obedience, the many will be constituted righteous, made acceptable to God, brought into right standing with him. One human act cost us everything. But one human act restored to us everything. And it wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something that that God looked and said, well, now they screwed up. Now I got to figure out what I'm going to do with you guys. It was something that God planned from the very beginning Because we read in the book of Revelation, where it's talking about the end times, it's talking about the beast, and this is a complete Jewish Bible version, because this is the way the Jewish mindset would have received and understood these scriptures. And when John wrote this, he was getting this vision, and he he writes, it, the beast, was allowed to make war on God's holy people and to defeat them. And it, the beast, was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. And everyone living on earth will worship it, meaning the beast, except those whose names are written in the book of life belonging to the lamb slaughtered before the world was founded. Before God put into place those chromodynamic, if that is the correct phrase, which all those quarks and subatomic particles that make the universe work, before God spoke light into existence, which is what we talked about before You know, he created the sun, the things that emit light. He created the actual light. Before any of that was done, God made the decision. 
I am going to give my life for you. Because just like any parent, has anyone ever planet, not planet, parent or not parent, child proof their home? A couple of people, yeah. Now, I know back in the day, nobody did that. Yeah, there were, there were no covers on the outlets. The way you learned not to stick your finger in the outlet was the first time you stuck your finger in the outlet. You learned, I won't do that again. That, I mean, there, there wasn't, what is it, the seatbelt laws? Because, I mean, how many of you grew up without seatbelts? Riding in the back of trucks and, and station wagons, yeah, without a, a seatbelt on, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, um, there was uh, not an issue. I mean, I mean, parents probably still used, uh, what do you call those, that you put the babies in car seats. Uh, but if you didn't have one, you held the kid. Some of you were probably brought home with a parent or grandparent just holding you while the other one drove. Uh, if they saw you do that today, someone would call the cops on you, right? Because there's laws, because you want to keep them safe. And so you, you go out and you think ahead, oh, we're going to have a child. We're going to have to get a crib. We're going to have to get this. We're going to have to get that because you love your child. So you think in advance, what if? Some of these things happen to your child. And then as your children get older, instead of thinking of, i got to put covers on the outlets, you start thinking about when your children you know, go out at night. We talked about this weeks ago because your kid says, hey, I'm a teenager. I'm just going to be hanging out at Sheets with my friends. What could go wrong? And you're thinking in your mind, well, there are other people at Sheets that look at you as a target. There are other people driving down 51. Uh, even though you're not drunk, they are. And they're not thinking about you. You're just an obstacle. They got a blurry obstacle. They got to try to, you know, maneuver around. And we as parents, we think of all these things because we want to keep our kids safe. So when God, before he even created the universe, in the beginning, before he made any of this that exists, he made the decision that he loved us enough to die for us. Because that was the only way that he could redeem us. And today, whenever we partake of communion, Jesus literally says, do this in remembrance of me. But the thing that we have to continually remember is it wasn't a decision that Jesus made at that time. It wasn't a decision that God made at that time. From the very beginning, before the foundational systems were put in place to make the universe run, God said, you're worth dying for. I love you enough, and I'm going to take this step to redeem you. So as the band comes up, I'm, I'm going to pray as the band comes up, and then we're going to uh, sing a song, and then we're going to partake of communion, and then we're going to you know, share a regular meal together. God, we thank you so much that even though, as we started out saying, we don't have it in us that capacity to love the way that you love, to love those who, who look at us differently the way that you love, to love those who hate us and judge us the way that you love, to love those who think differently than we do the way that you love. But we are so grateful that you have unconditional love, that before man was formed, before sin entered the earth, before the heavens and the earth were created, that you loved us enough to say, hey, if they make up, yes, there are going to be consequences, but yes, I'm going to take the steps to make it right. 
that you decided to lay down your life for us. God, we pray that, you know, if someone's here and maybe they've been in that place where, like Adam and Eve, where we've made bad decisions, we've done things wrong, and we've felt regret, and we felt shame, and we felt hurt, and we felt guilt. My prayer is that they would now just allow your presence to enter into their heart so that they can feel worth, they can feel loved, and they can feel your mercy and grace and forgiveness. And God, we thank you that you allowed your son Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, to shed his blood remove the regret and the guilt and the shame from us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. pray now that as we partake of communion that we would remember that it wasn't done as an afterthought. It wasn't done as a byproduct. It was done out of the unconditional love that you have for every single member of humanity. God, I pray that as we partake that we would know that your blood was shed for us, that your body was broken for us. And it was done before the foundation of the world to show your love for us to redeem us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.